Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. You know, it's a great, great morning. And, you know, I'm kind of thinking about and concerned about why do people cooperate? What causes people to come together and form cooperatives and make decisions that's best for the group, best for other folks and not necessarily what's exactly best for the individual. Why do people do that? You know, it, on this show, we got that in the 1930s and 40s with Greenbelt Homes, as an example, which is right up the street here, Greenbelt, Maryland, right where 495 and BWI intersect, uh, Baltimore Washington Expressway intersect. So you get Greenbelt Homes, which is 1,600 units. And so when they were interviewing people, they were interviewing them to see if they would make good cooperators, if they would cooperate. So one of the things they were looking for was were people willing to work. Because in cooperatives, folks have to work. Self-help is one of the variables and self-responsibility. That's the two values the, the first ones mentioned. So people have to be responsible and not tolerate discrimination where everybody is welcome into the cooperative. So Greenbelt Homes, when they were formed, they did extensive interviews of people to see if they were cooperative in nature, which means that they could come together, work together, work and work together for the benefit of the community. Now, you know, in in the animal kingdom, you don't have a lot of animals that really come together and share for people they don't know or strangers. But in the human being kingdom, human beings can do this thing. Work cooperatively and sort of don't cheat each other and make decisions that's best for the group. As I said first, everybody doesn't sort of believe in this method. Some people is dog eat dog. I'm going to only make decisions that's best for me or me and my family, uh, me and my clan and anybody else. Beware. But in the cooperative world, one of the first principles created It goes back and it's given sort of for the modern cooperative 1844 where the first principle was it just doesn't make any difference who you are. It's volunteer and voluntary and open membership. So everybody's invited. 
and encouraged to be in a community, to be open and connected to all. We don't have any principles for excluding anybody. Just doesn't make any difference of your gender, male, female, or your race, or your religion, or your political affiliation, or where you come from, what part of the world. No sense of discrimination. To be in a cooperative, if you have a discriminatory or biased tend, you have to leave that at the door. Coming to the co-op is open and volunteer membership. So cooperatives are based on the values of self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And the traditions of the cooperative founders, the cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. Values are for making life work well. And cooperatives are tools for achieving a mission that serves both its members and much more. In a cooperative, a cooperative brings life and meaning to these value words. So in a cooperative, you have to be looking at things like how does self-help and self-responsibility hang out with solidarity? You're looking for helping self and being responsible and what is best for the group, being solid. How do those two work? Or three? How do those three values work together? I have some sense of that, but that's what one is looking for when you're looking for the values of the cooperative. What does honesty and openness, honesty and openness, what do they have to do with caring for others? So thinking about these values as you're working through the cooperative, because sometimes these values seems to be in conflict or in contention with one another as you're trying to make decisions on limited resources, yeah, limited money, limited time, and trying to get a lot done. But it's in that process of resolving these tensions is how the cooperative and the people in the cooperative expand their ability, expand their awareness to developing capacity for the cooperative. You know, it's phenomenally great watching a cooperative work, watching people grapple with choices. Do we do A or do we do X? And we only have enough resources to do one. And some people want A and some people want X. And how they grapple with and look at and toy with and then come together to choose. That's what makes cooperatives work really, really well, is that people can do that. They learn how to do that. They learn how to come together, solve issues together, work together when there's different points of view, different opinions on what is best for the entity, what's best for the community, what's best for each individual family. But that is what is exciting about cooperation. And when you're like me, I manage housing co-ops. And so most often I I do live in a cooperative, but for all the rest of them, I don't. And so I'm just able to watch the process. Sometimes I'm very much involved as a manager to giving information to help people to choose. 
but not in the choosing process and helping people to look at their view and explain their view is, is really, really exciting. So we talked about this first principle of volunteering open membership. The second one is it commits the cooperative to a democratic process. Cooperatives are democratic organizations controlled by their members. And these members actively participate in setting policies and making decisions. And the members will elect a board of directors and men and women serving as elected direct, uh, directors are accountable to the membership. So what you have at the top of the food chain in a cooperative are the members. And the next is the board of directors. The members elect a board of directors. And the board of directors sometimes will hire a management company. And that management company then hires staff and solicit vendors, uh, contractors to come in and do work. Sometimes the management is the one that can sign the contract, and sometimes they have to kick it up to the board. So in this democratically controlled organization, most of the people are at the top, the members. And you get a board. That board could be five members, seven members, nine members. Normally it's an odd number. but uh, And then they set the policies, or the members let them know which policies they can create and the members can create other policies. But the members are have the ultimate power. Too often and sometimes, more often than I would like to see, the members give up their their power to either a board of directors or to a management company. But this is the critical piece. Well, it's one of the critical pieces to make a cooperative work. So being democratic is part of the essence of being a cooperative. So cooperatives are a democratic dynamite. And it works well when it works and everybody participates. People get the information. That's the openness that members get the information, the financial information. And when they don't understand it, then they can get training to understand what the information, the financial documents are saying, so they can really make an informed decision. In our political world, too often I'm really amazed at how people vote for things and people that do them harm. And more often than not, they do not understand it. Listen, if you want to make a comment or ask a question, call at 1-800-450-7876. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back. Information is power. This is why WOL makes a really excellent partner with this program, Everything Cooperative. And my name is Vernon Oaks. And, you know, this information, it, it, it is sort of like it is contained power. Information by itself isn't power, just like gasoline by itself doesn't give you any power. It's only when you strike the gasoline and get it to ignite that it creates the power. 
You can have a bomb. If you don't ignite it, it will not do anything. It's sit dormant. There's no power in a bomb except for perhaps stored power. Same thing with information. If you don't use this information, it's in the utility of the information that the power comes. And National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you information. So you have power. And what power for what? Power to control your own destiny. Power to help give you financial and social capital for you and your family. Power for your community to solve community problems. Any community problem can be solved with people coming together, working cooperatively, making decisions, particularly democratic decisions, is what we were talking about before we took break. So cooperatives, we talked about the first principle, just open to anybody and everybody. And then this democratic control, and this democratic control, it's a demand for the members to control their organization by active participation. It's not a passive sport. You've got to get in there and actively participate. You know, it really ought to be a way that each member is held accountable for being active. Charge a fine of something, maybe twice the normal co-op fee or rental or something if they're not active. But somehow being held accountable. Same thing if in this in our government, if one did not vote, then they'd have to pay twice the amount of taxes. But some way of being held accountable to being active in the community, into the organization. So it's like being a cooperative. It means that the common good of all, the common good of everybody in the cooperative is dependent on the conscious and meaningful engagement by all. So everybody has to be engaged in order to get that common good. So everybody has a voice and they have to use that voice. This is what makes a cooperative great and a great cooperative. You'll find more and more people participating in it. Like the cellular network of our bodies, all of the cells in our body. Nothing is left out that belongs in. And you need all the cells to work in order to stay alive and be active. So this cooperation is how everything that is connected pursues the common good of all. It works when everybody works it. It works best the more people that works it. You know, I can get, if I keep on getting in this, I'm going to start preaching up in here. <laughs> it's fascinating that the third principle is member economic participation. So the third principle applies the democratic process to managing the economic resources of the organization. Members contribute equally democratically controlled the capital of their cooperative. So everybody contributes the same amount equally, equitably, and everybody controls the capital. In a housing co-op, and again, that's what I manage in my day job, a housing cooperative, there may be some fee. That fee for an affordable cooperative may be the same as a security deposit in a rental may be that low. It may operate very similar to a rental. But in a market rate cooperative, that fee could be the same fee that you would 
paid if you bought into a condo or a single family house. There's some kind of value assessed. And that's normally the market value is what that fee is that one would have to pay for a market rate cooperative. The Watergate is a market rate cooperative. So if you were to move into Watergate down off the Potomac, then you would pay a very high fee to get in there. But if you lived in an affordable housing cooperative, again, the fee could be one month's rental or one month's co-op fee. There are some affordable housing, they'll set a fee. It could be $5,000 membership fee or $10,000, and then there's a monthly fee. Sometimes that's called a maintenance fee, what it takes to maintain the property. Similar to rent, a lot more often not less than rent, but there's some kind of participation. In a food co-op, uh, a lot of times I've heard that each member is asked to pay $100 in order to, to get in and be a member. And then in a food cooperative, if there are surpluses, that means that there's some profit at the end of the month or year or whatever period that is being measured. So if there's a surplus, then the membership, perhaps themselves or through the board of directors, will decide what happens to that surplus. Some people have said, uh, again, food co-ops that I've talked with said that one-third of it stays in the business for growth. One-third of it is given to the members as a dividend. And one-third of it could be given to solve other community concerns. In a food co-op, if the co-op is owned by the people that shop there, if it's owned by the customers, it's called a consumer cooperative, then a dividend is given back based on the amount that you shopped in that period. If it's a year, it'd be how much did one shop? If I spend $1,000 a month and you spend $100 a month, then I'm going to get a bigger dividend back, like 10 times more back than you would get. It depends on how much you shop is is what they depend on, your proportionate amount of utility of that cooperative, how much you use the products or services in that cooperative and a consumer cooperative. Now, if you are, if it's a, a worker-owned cooperative, the employees own the business, a food co-op could be owned by the employees or it could be owned by the consumers. If the employees own it, then more often a dividend is based perhaps on how many hours you work. What's your contribution to the business? So there's different formulas to say how much you and dividends you would get back, but it's more often it's some kind of way in proportion to how well you benefited the overall organization, perhaps in hours worked or in some other way of contribution, like how much did you buy in the business? So this is a huge commitment and a benefit. And I've talked about this book, uh, Communities Building Wealth, by the Democratic Collaborative that talks about a young lady named Christina in New York City who is a maid. She's a cleaning lady. And she went from $7 an hour working for somebody to $20 an hour in a cooperative. And that's 
a threefold increase. And in that time, uh, what she decided to do was to work less hours and spend more time with her children. But this is what working a cooperative. Now, everybody doesn't get that threefold income if you increase if you work in a cooperative. But I did some research on food co-ops. And in, on average, in a food cooperative, the workers get $1 more an hour than in a just a regular grocery store. But they got many, many more people had health insurance and other fringe benefits in a food co-op. It's like 75, 80% of the food co-op had the fringe benefits compared to 45, 50% in a normal grocery store. There was also much more recycling in a food cooperative because, as we'll talk about later, food co-ops believe in protecting the community. So we're going to take our second break, and we'll be back to talk about the other principles and how spirituality and cooperation works hand in hand. But we'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOL, at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative. We've been talking about the cooperative principles in a little bit different way than we've talked about them in the past because what we're looking for, what makes these principles really, really function? Why are they so in, so important to the success of a cooperative? The fourth principle is autonomy and independence. We've talked about the first one, which is, is open to everybody. And the second is democratic control. And the third is uh, economic participation, both putting money in and taking money in, out, buying, buying into the, the cooperative, each member, and when there's surpluses, getting money back. And the fourth one is autonomy and independence. And that's interesting that in some ways you can see that. It, but it basically says that a cooperative must be able to make its own decisions, that no government can get in and make the decisions for them, or if they borrow money, that the entity that they borrow the money from cannot take away their autonomy, their ability to make the decisions that's for the cooperative. And we had uh, Dame Pauline Green on the show, who was the president of International Cooperative Alliance. And she said in some African countries, a government did step in to take control and make decisions. But they were able over time to get the governments to understand that these cooperatives work better when they can make their own decisions, when they have their own autonomy. It's like if a if a if a business in which the people that directly produce the goods and service are are not treated, and this is a capitalistic society, too often they're treated as an expense rather than as an asset. In a corp, they are an asset. The people are an asset, and they're, they're a critical part of the business. You know, in a capitalistic model, too often if there's a downturn, they just get rid of people. And a cooperative in this last downturn that more often than not, the cooperatives either everybody took a lower pay 
so that they could keep people on or and where there was more than one cooperative they may have moved people from one co-op to the other co-op so that people kept their jobs so that that it's clear in this autonomy and independence that people are the critical glue for the for the business so this is it has to be able to make these decisions now the fifth principle is my favorite and that is training information education training and information it's the fifth principle and that cooperatives provide education and training for their members first for elected representatives politicians for the managers in the business, for employees, and then the overall community, the public, particularly young people and opinion leaders about the nature and benefits of cooperation. So, you know, cooperatives and cooperation hinges on autonomy. That's what we talked about a minute ago. So it makes sense, better sense for cooperatives to empower its members. So we empower each other. We don't power over each other. This is what happens in cooperatives, and this is why the education is so important. Because when people have the education, when people have the information, when people have the training, they can take up for themselves. They really get confidence in themselves, and they get voice, and they can be heard. So that the cooperative sort of is a transformative organization. So it does more than this economic role of getting more economic power, but also a transformative social and political role in that people get social capital. They understand and they know how to work with other people and other organizations, learn how to work with their politicians, with other government entities. So in this training, this training and Dame Pauline Green said it helps people to come out of poverty with dignity. That dignity is what's so important. Whether they were in poverty before or not, it may not have been economic poverty. But if somebody doesn't like themselves, if somebody doesn't have that self-confidence, they can get it by working together in a cooperative. Getting this education, getting this training. And you know, I've taught mathematics and, and I've giving classes and budgeting and reading the financial statements. I've taught business and marketing. A lot of the business and marketing is the mathematics, the doing the analysis. And what I really like in a cooperative is when, when people grab onto it, it's, it has meaning. They know that they need to understand this information in order to make good decisions for themselves and their family. And therefore the training and the the teaching is a lot easier and a lot more rewarding because people may not even have a high school degree, but they get it. They want to get it. They know if they get it, they can use it. And if they get it, they can make informed decisions that's best for themselves and their community. It's awesome to be able to train adults that want the information and they know how they can use the information to better themselves. So the training works and this training helps to transform the society and the political roles, also the economic role, but not just the economic role. And when I first got into co-ops, that's what I thought it was about. 
the economic side of it. The sixth principle is cooperation among cooperatives. This is sort of gets to the common good of each cooperative. They serve their members, cooperatives serve their members, and they strengthen the cooperative moving movement by working together through local, national, regional, and international structures. This cooperation among cooperatives, when I've been in this business now, it it's it's happening more and more that worker cooperatives are working with credit unions or consumer cooperatives and consumer cooperatives are are working just with farming cooperatives or whether they're purchasing or marketing cooperatives. So you get this working together to foster their unique vehicles for achieving the common good of us all. And they can work through any kind of structure to get this done. The seventh principle is concern for a community. It's sort of in the DNA of a cooperative. Social responsibility. It gives it a hard-nosed practicality. Not only a statement of identity, but it really has to be concerned about what goes on in the community and how they can this cooperative can help solve community problems. In a cooperation, they work for a sustainable development of their communities through policies approved by their members. And again, that's the common good principle, this sustainable development. So the cooperatives look to strive, not just to survive. And they think globally as well as locally. So it's a ground-up approach that really helps individuals be accountable and freely choosing ways to serve the common good of all and empowering folks individually and collectively to achieve that service joyfully, actively. Cooperatives can work. They do work. Um, They work through these principles and these values. And this is why I've gotten to really love cooperatives. So when you look at Christianity and cooperation, you find that um, in the book of James, 1 James 22nd verse, it says, be doers of the word, a commitment to engagement. Uh, So cooperatives look at being engaged within the world and within the communities. And, you know, cooperatives and cooperation, my sense of it, doesn't make any difference what religious belief you are if you just sort of, if you believe in a God that lifts you up when you're doing right and punishes you when you're doing wrong. Doesn't make any difference what religion background that comes from. And that fits in this cooperative model that you won't necessarily cheat on each other because there's a, there's a, there's a God out there that works. But there's three overreaching commitments of this of Christianity, which I know more about since I'm a Christian. Uh, but there's a commitment to transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12, 2. God declared that, behold, I'm making all things new. 
transformation is the work of its spirit in the lives of Christians, congregations. We're concerned about the conversion of all people. So this commitment of transformation of the mind, getting the knowledge, getting out there, getting things done, and then being doers of the word, working in communities for the benefit of the people in that community. So being committed to community, committed to transformation, to be committed to being engaged, doing things, getting things done. Corporations follow Christianity's beliefs so, so well, and things get done for people within that work in the, inside the cooperative and for the community and the world. It works. It works extremely well. We're going to take our final break, and we'll be right back. If you have any questions, please call in at 1-800-450-7876. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOS at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program. NCBs uh, just really works to support cooperatives by providing financial services, particularly to those communities uh, that have financial concerns, uh, communities that are in pretty bad shape. And you'll find these in urban settings and rural settings. A lot of rural areas have lots of folks that are in need, Uh and NCB's right there. Also in urban areas, folks find themselves having financial needs. National Co-op Bank can come in and help you with the financing of your cooperative project, your housing co-op or your food co-op. And there are four basic types of co-ops. One is a and where the employees own it, the workers own the co-op, it's called a worker-owned cooperative. And so any business you can think of could be a worker-owned cooperative if it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the services. And we've already talked about food co-ops, uh, uh, credit unions, housing co-ops. They're all consumer co-ops. The people that own the business, they also use the products and services of those businesses. And then you have the... Uh, Co-ops that come together to buy uh, what the products that they need in their business. And it's called a purchasing cooperative. And these co-ops uh, could be farms. It could be businesses coming together to buy things together. And when they form a business to buy what they need, and farmers, it could be seed or fertilizer or gasoline or equipment. Or it could be warehousing space that any smaller farmer could not do themselves to get a warehouse and put refrigeration in there so they could put their products in there until they got them to market. But by coming together using their resources, they can normally get uh, a better product at a better price. And then they can hire people who will know how to negotiate with the vendors that they are buying from. 
and produce contracts that are good for their members. And on the other side, so you get a farmer, farmers come together and they purchase their goods that they need to produce whatever they're producing. And then the farmers let sit there to produce what they're producing, whether that's tomatoes or carrots or chickens or whatever they're producing. It could be Christmas trees. So the farmer spends most of their time producing what they need to produce and getting the education they need to, to better that. And then on the other side of it is, is a marketing cooperative that farmers will create a marketing co-op so they can sell their products to the marketing co-op. And then the marketing co-op has the expertise to get the products to market. And sometimes they add value to those products by taking the milk and making cheese or yogurt or they could uh, take the vegetables and make salads or do different things with them so they could add value to it to pass that value back in the surplus or the profits back to the farmers so farmers then can spend most of their time now this is beginning to happen with more and more with artists because if you're a musician particularly start now but even after you get seasoned that there are times when you have money coming in and there's times when you don't so in working in co-ops they're beginning to find ways working together where they can spread out the the money to people that members in the co-op um, so that you can get a constant flow and then um, therefore you have money to live on 12 months out of a year as opposed to three or four months or five months out of the year. So the co-ops are finding different ways. And since for some musicians, they are coming together by housing or by warehouse space and both that they can show their products. If you make jewelry, then you may get together with people that make uh, carvings out of wood or plates or bowls or different kinds of artists, paintings, etc. sculptures and they can have a place for people to come and do the work and sort of it's if you will in the back of the warehouse in the front of the warehouse they may have shows that they can present their their goods to people so by working together they can handle the risk and the problems of their craft or their career um, a lot of times people are not sort of encouraged to go after their creative side because it's so uncertain. And it perhaps takes a long time before one gets a name and people will buy and spend large money for their products. And so for some artists, this doesn't happen to after death. But in a co-op, in a co-op where the artists are finding is by working together in all of the things that we've talked about here earlier with these values and these principles, they can help build up each other. They can help build up each other. And on this purchasing side, there's a company called CPA, um, Community Purchasing Alliance, that started out in the district in D.C. working with uh, churches and charter schools mainly and then some other nonprofits that they could come together and buy whatever products and services that these organizations needed and get a better price and a, more often than not, a better contract, a better product. So the uh, CPA is looking to move. They're, I think they're looking to expand in Baltimore and perhaps Richmond, but they're looking at they've created a toolkit, and the National Cooperative Bank helped to sponsor that toolkit 
so that they could take this out and help others. I mean, the churches were paying twice as much as they needed to pay for, like, trash services or copying facilities. They were being ripped off, if you will, by the vendors because they didn't have the skill set. They may have good missions. They may have good ideas. They may know how to be a preach, but they didn't know the, the uh, and didn't have people on their volunteer list that could really help negotiate with the vendors to get a better deal. And of course, I mean, if you're paying a thousand dollars a month for trash services and then you can get it down the same services or if not more, maybe more collections a, a, a week and you can get it down to 500, like cut in half, then you've got 500 more dollars that you can spend on your programs, helping the least of these. Or if you're providing housing or food services or a soup kitchen, whatever you're doing, you have more monies. You spend less on the services that you need, and therefore you have more money to do the things that you are set out to do to satisfy your mission. So these co-ops really, really help. And then there's a co-op, a consumer co-op in Madison that I went to visit one day, and that is it's a clinic, a health clinic that is owned by the patients. And so the patients actively engaged as and open to everybody in the community and anybody that wants to get those services, then that co-op policies are to help prevent the disease. That's what the members want. So it's preventive in nature as opposed to curing in nature. If you look at most hospitals, you only go in there when you have a problem. Go to doctor when you have a problem and they give you some pills or whatever. In this case, you're going to get checkups and you're keeping your records so you can prevent the disease in the first place. And that's what the co-op decided that they wanted to do. That's what the members decided that they wanted. So this is what makes the co-op world such a great world. And my sense is it is going to continue and expand my other sense, and I was told I was a skeptic, was that, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of housing co-ops being developed, and all of a sudden, HUD uh, stopped providing money for co-ops, and the sort of like the co-op mission got squashed in the U.S. It was growing in other parts of the world, uh, much more than here in the U.S. But in the U.S., it was squashed, and my belief was that there are people just like this tax bill just got passed, and it's supposedly, if you listen to the Republicans, they said it was that all of us are going to get reduction in our taxes. I've never read the bill, but I believe what I what I hear is that that is mainly for well, you, you, it takes the corporate tax rate from thirty five percent to twenty one percent, and it also reduces the. Um, capital gains tax, and inheritance tax. For rich individuals, it lowered the tax rate down a lot. So it looks like in the next five years that everybody will get some savings. People that are poor or below 75000 will get a lot less than people that make millions and billions of dollars. will get a lot more in percentages. They get a lot more money. So this tax seems to be it's for the rich where the co-op is for everybody, the everyday person. And that's why I like it. And so redistribution of wealth is where the co-op comes in, makes the money, and give it to its members. 
and not the shareholders and capitalists that already have a lot of money. And this is why I think co-ops are here to stay and want to get more and more people involved. Have a great, great week. Please live cooperatively, and we'll look to see you next Thursday and have a great holiday season and Christmas. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOF, and 95.9 FM.